Amen. Easter is the resurrection. Can you say amen? So I want, to, uh, I want you to get your Bibles open this morning. We're going to have a special service, a special word this morning that I believe is going to really bless you and really teach you some things. Is there anybody in here, by the way, that knows everything about the Bible? I'd like to see your hand. You know everything. You're a scholar. You've got it all together. And any question you got, no one's raising their hand. Okay, well, we're in good company then. Amen. I'll put mine down because I don't either. But I do know that this Bible is living and alive and real this morning. Amen? It is real this morning. And it's life-changing. It changed my life. I want you to go to the book of Psalms, chapter 22, this morning. And get your notebooks ready and get your uh, Bibles ready to look at some things this morning. Because I want Easter to be real to you this morning. I want it to come off the pages. And I don't want this to be a day that you're just celebrating because everybody else is. Amen. I want you to know what we're celebrating. And uh, as we sang that song, The Victor's Crown, what a powerful truth this morning. Amen. That he is the victor in this. He is, he is the overcomer this morning. And listen, because he overcame, we can overcome. Because he overcame, we have overcome this morning. Amen. How many have overcome this morning because of the blood of Jesus this morning? Amen. And maybe you're here and you go, I don't know if I have or not. Well, you're going to know before the service is over that you have. Amen. I want to, as you're there in Psalms 22, I want to uh, get serious for just a second. And I want to uh, make a confession this morning. How many know confessions are good? Amen. Amen. I want to tell you something very important and something that I just feel like I have to tell this morning that everybody, this is a good day to say it, it's Easter Sunday and Everybody would hear it that some are out of town, but a lot of people are here, even family. And I, I, my confession this morning is I am more in love with Jesus than I've ever been in my life. Some of y'all thought I was going to say something really bad, didn't you? Take a deep breath. <laughs> it's a confession, and I mean that. I am more in love with the Lord than I've ever been. I'm more in love with the Bible than I've ever been. These words are coming off the pages to me like they've never had before. Amen. How many know we're supposed to be more in love this morning than less? This isn't something we get tired of doing or, man, I've been saved so long. This is getting boring. If you're in here this morning and you're just maybe getting to know the Lord or you don't know a lot yet, give it some time. Let the Lord show himself to you. Let the Lord reveal himself to you. And I can tell you after this October will be 23 years I've been saved that I'm more in love with Jesus now than I ever have been before. Amen. And I'm more ready to see him now than I've ever been ready to see him before. Amen. I'm more excited about the word of God now than I've ever been before. And, and some of the things I want to show you this morning is to get you to get excited about it. We've been talking lately uh, in our church about the end times and about how the prophetic words of God are coming to life in the news. Amen. In the news. And, and I want you to know this morning that as you're taking notes, the, the message is called the prophetic Passover lamb. I also want to talk about this morning, the prophetic Passover lamb. And how many know prophecy means that some, it's telling the future of something? Before I get into this, I want to ask you a question. How many of you could even uh, predict one thing that was going to happen next week besides the sun coming out and the moon shining nobody right one week away we couldn't say anything with any certainty you can't even say the weather with certainty in texas 
Amen? You can't, even, you can't even look at the weather channel. It's funny. You look on there. We're going to have a picnic today at 5 if it doesn't rain. Whoever wants to come out at, 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 at Denia Park across the street and just have some fellowship. But we, don't really, we can't really tell if we're going to have a picnic or not because the weather channel doesn't even know how to predict. Amen? And so if, the, if the, it's hard to predict the weather, can you imagine how hard it would be to predict anything like seriously was going to happen? But God's word, if you were to ask me this morning, and you're not, but I'm going to tell you, what is the reason you believe so much in Jesus? Why do you believe so much in the Bible? Why do you believe so much in God? Well, the first thing I would tell you is because he changed my life. And I'm not the same person that I used to be. So that's number one. But the second one is, is besides my personal experience with Jesus, and this is a little bit hot, so I'm going to turn it down just a little bit. Besides my personal experience with Jesus, I know this morning that the Bible is full of prophecies. Full of words that God spoke. Oh, people say, oh, man, this is man written. Men wrote this. Yeah, men had the pen. Men had the pen. But God wrote the word. He had his hand on their hands. Amen. And, and, and you say, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked how I know that because there's no way that all the prophecies in the Bible that were spoken could have come to pass if it wasn't God saying it this morning. Amen. There's no way. It's impossible. Amen. Say it's impossible. With man, things are impossible. But the Bible says with God, all things are possible. Now, as we get into this, before I even read any scriptures, before I talk about Jesus this morning and his resurrection this morning, I want you to be thinking right now. I want that to click in your mind. This, there's got to be something real about this Bible for, for these things to, to have been spoken and now becoming alive. And, and here's what I want to, you to think about, too, as I begin to read this. I want you to think of something else. I've all, I'm, all, I'm a kind of person that likes to look at, us, at, at, at the Bible and things of God and look at it from a turned around perspective. I like to look at it like an unbeliever would look. How many ever look at things like that? What, what are they thinking? Where are they coming from? What, why do they say this? Why do they say that? And so people would say, some people would say, well, everything that happens, for example, in the life of Jesus Christ was planned and, and it was man-made, you know, everything that went on. And so I want to tell you something. Think about this. There's 28 prophecies just on the death and burial of Jesus Christ. 28. Meaning in the Old Testament, there's 28 times in different books of, of people saying things that are prophetic. We're going to read some in just a second. But before we read it, I don't want you just to, I want this to be a different Easter for you this morning. I don't want this to be a religious day. I don't want this to be another, oh, I went to church on Easter. I'm, I want this to be a day where the light bulb comes on in your spirit and you fall in love with Jesus this morning. Amen? And I want you to know that this Bible is real this morning. I want it to come alive to you this morning. It does no good for Jesus to come out of that grave and be alive if your spirit's dead. Jesus wants to quicken your spirit and he wants to come into your heart this morning and he wants to show you that he's real. And so the question is, is let me give you just a generic example. Can you imagine if, if the prophecies in the Bible are not true and they're man-made, do you realize that everything that happened in the Bible for the life of Jesus this morning, uh, the fact that he was uh, taken to the cross, the fact that as he was taken, his beard was pulled out, uh, they, he was whipped 39 times plus some, he was uh, beaten, he was spit upon, where he, where he died, I'm just throwing out some of these 28 prophecies. Do you realize for that to happen, what would have had to take place? The Roman Empire 
who crucified, along with the Jews pushing him to it, crucified Jesus, would have had to have been reading the Old Testament and doing what the Bible says to crucify Jesus. Did y'all catch that? That's the only way possible for a prophecy to come to pass is that I would read the Old Testament scriptures and there, can you, can you picture this morning as, as all these things are transpiring and happening in the New Testament that we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are called the Gospels? Can you imagine that there, as just how many have ever been, uh, seen a movie made or been, we do plays all the time. We're fixing to do judgment. We know there's a script, Right? Y'all following me? There's a script to a movie. There's a script to a play. And so to have something happen, you have to read the script. Even when a script is written, it doesn't always come out right, it seems like. I could tell, uh, I could tell Paul and Brenda to go stand in that corner right there and hold hands. We're going to do a, a, a renewal of their vows or something over there. And I could tell them to stand a certain way. And I could, we could go over this whole plan. They could have a script. We could have some ideas how we're going to do things. And it still probably wouldn't work out right, even scripted. Because man's involved. But they would have had to have been reading off of some other thing. It's okay. So can you picture this morning the Romans saying, okay, how many times, go look in the Bible. How many times do we have to whip him? Hey, we haven't pulled his beard out yet. Hey, somebody go pull his beard out. Y'all follow me? It, prophecy proof, proves Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He's the prophetic Passover lamb this morning. Amen? It's not an accident that we're celebrating Easter this morning. It's not an accident that we're here this morning. It's God ordained that we're here this morning. Amen? The, the, the fact that you got up was planned by God this morning. So I want to say that to get that in your mind, to realize as we begin to read some of these things, this has to be God. It's not possible to be anything else. So Psalms chapter 22, say amen if you're there. I want to start in verse 1. And as we begin to read this, I want you to begin to pay attention to what the scriptures are saying here. It says, my God, my God, have you forsaken me? That sound familiar? This is David 1,000 years before Jesus came on the scene. Not a week, not a day. David is prophesying not even knowing what he's saying, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you don't hear, and in the night season am not silent. Go down to verse 6, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, watch this, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me, they shoot out the lip, they shake their head saying, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Does that sound familiar? Now, as we go forth, I'm going to say something I said Wednesday, and I'm not going to say it in a mean way. As we're reading this this morning, if you've been saved for very long, some of these things should be popping out to your spirit, and they should sound familiar. If they don't, then we need to start learning the word of God, because I made a statement Wednesday that's a fact. This is the most illiterate Bible generation ever. Amen. We don't read the Bible. And, and many times we don't even bring it to church. We just sit there and listen, I'm not, I'm not here to make anybody mad this morning, but listen, we need to have our Bibles because you need to know what I'm saying is in the Bible. There's too many people that go to church and sit there and nod their heads up, and I'm glad you're nodding your head, nod their heads up and down, listen to a preacher, and sometimes don't even know what really is going on and what's being said, and they don't know what they're listening to. The Bible says study to show yourself approved. Amen. Come on, we need to know the word of God. I'm not saying that in a mean way. I'm saying it because the Lord keeps telling me, remind my people they need to know the word. 
We know how to navigate Facebook. We know how to put pictures up on Instagram. We know how to tag people. Come on, say woe is me or amen this morning. Amen, come on. Oh, you're saying, Pastor, it's Easter Sunday. I got my family here. I'm not going to preach any different. I don't care if the president's here. I'm going to preach the word of God this morning. Amen. People need to know Jesus this morning. And we need to know the word of God. We need to spend more time reading this thing. Otherwise, things are going to catch us by surprise. He trusted in him. Let him rescue him, he says. Let's go down to verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. Verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. Enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. David get crucified? No, he's prophesying. I count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And my clothing they cast for lots. I just wanted to read a little bit of Psalms right there, just out of Psalms, the book of Psalms, because we think Jesus, we think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We think, man, this is something new. No, it's not. It's been prophesied ever since the beginning. Amen? Remember what John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. Amen? In the beginning. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always been around. Amen? And so let me, let me get into the good stuff now. That's, that's just a little bit of prophecy there, just to, get, just to whet your appetite a little bit. But Psalm 16.10, this is also David, just a few chapters back, says, remember, this is a thousand years before Jesus comes on the scene. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, another word for hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. There was a promise 1,000 years before Jesus ever came through the words of David that Jesus Christ was not going to stay in the grave. Amen? Jesus Christ was not going to just die. We have to understand this morning that without the cross and without the death, there's no resurrection. But without the resurrection, there's nothing. Amen? If Jesus doesn't come out of that tomb, then he's just another good man who died. That's what separates, listen, that's what separates this and makes it the truth from all the other religions that have come after trying to be like Jesus. Jesus is the only one who defeated death. Jesus is the only one who came back to life. Amen? He's the only one that's ever, no God, no deity has ever been able to say, I am the resurrection and the life. You tell me a God who said that. You tell me some prophet or some other religion who has been able to say, I am that I am. Those are some pretty strong words. Amen. How many know when you say some strong words, you got to be able to back them up? How many know Jesus can back up his words this morning? Amen. When he says, I am that I am, he is who he is. The resurrection's the key. That, listen, the devil thought he had the devil, uh, Jesus defeated when he put him in the ground. There's a verse all the way back in Genesis when it talks about the seed and he shall bruise his heel. And there's this scripture way back in Genesis that talks about Jesus coming. And de the devil thought that as soon as he was crucified and in that grave, he had won. And you know what is interesting about that? So did his disciples. How many want your faith lifted for just a second this morning? 
I want to lift up your faith this morning. I want to ask you a question. You can raise your hand or not. You can say yes or not. What really matters is in here. How many in this place this morning believe that Jesus Christ came from heaven, left glory as God, came into the womb of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, was born into this earth and lived in a human body, lived 30 years and then started his ministry, did three years of miracles, signs, and wonders, never sinned, and then gave himself as the Passover lamb. Died on a cross, a horrible death that I could tell you for an hour. I've got all the information. I, I found one of the most amazing uh, in, informations I've ever found. And I, it was one of those things I was choosing what to use this morning. I could have read you the suffering that Jesus went through. And I'll give it to you later if you want it. You'd be blown away of how he suffered on the, on the cross. Not even before. On the cross physically. Not even including church. One thing you need to know, I'm going to get to the faith raiser in a second, but you need to know this morning, the worst part for Jesus was not the, the nails. The worst part for Jesus was not the spitting upon him. The worst part for Jesus was not the crown of thorns. The worst part for Jesus was not uh, his beard being plucked out. The worst part was not even hanging on that cross and having to push his body up for every breath to be able to breathe for hours and hours and hours. The worst part was when he no longer felt the presence of God and it said, why, Father, have you forsaken me? I don't feel you anymore. And at that moment, listen, all the pain in the world cannot compare to the fact that he took your sins and my sins sins and the sins of the entire world on his body and he died for you and he died for me and he died for the people who are going to reject him that was the worst part for Jesus amen he did it all on credit do you realize that he did it on credit and he would have came if only one person would have believed one how many is that one I'm that one and then do you believe, as he laid there dead, that he rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven and he's coming again? How many believe that this morning? I just want to see if you believe that this morning. I mean, you believe it. If you believe it, you, you step out into something supernatural. And if you believe it and you really believe it, I want to lift your faith. You have more faith than the disciples did. That should make you feel good because we all doubt. We all have times we wonder. We all have times we get down and we feel, God, where are you? But let me tell you something. We, li we lift up these disciples and they were great and mighty men. They died for him. But they, when, when Jesus, he sat there and talked to his, to his disciples and said, I'm going to go and die. He's telling them personally, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to be resurrected. Do you know what the disciples were doing when he was laying in that tomb? They weren't at the church. They weren't worshiping and praising. They weren't looking at their watch to see when he would come back. They went back to work. They went back to the old way, the old life. Not necessarily sin, but they went back to doing what they were doing. They didn't really, truly believe he was going to rise from the dead. Me and you believe that this morning in 2015. And we have more faith than the disciples did because we haven't seen Jesus face to face. That ought to make you feel better. Has anybody in here touched his hands? Has anybody in there touched his feet? Thomas said, unless I touch his hands, 
unless I touch his feet, I won't believe. That's what Thomas said. They call him Doubting Thomas. I have more faith than Thomas because I haven't touched his hands and I haven't touched his feet. But here's why I believe he touched me. He touched me. How many have been touched by Jesus this morning? You don't have to touch him. He's touched you. And we believe Jesus said these words. He said, blessed are they who have not seen me and believe. All the generations that are going to come, blessed are they. Now let me get into something. Let me start this message real quick. That was just to get you warmed up. The prophetic promise of the Passover lamb. I said there's 28 prophets. I want you to go to two places real quick. Book of John chapter 2. I'm going to take you to two places in scripture this morning. How many give me just a few minutes to give you a good Easter message that will encourage your faith this morning? John chapter 2. Don't worry. Your kids are in good hands. They're having a blast back there. They're going to come out wired up, and you have to take care of them after. Amen. They have lots of candy in them. John chapter 2, but they're going to learn about Jesus too. We've got good teachers. John chapter 2. Say amen if you're there. Over 28 prophecies are said of the Lord just, this isn't all prophecies, just about his crucifixion. But John chapter 2 Let's look what Jesus says. It says the Bible, verse 13, he, he, after, now it says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, right before I read any more, I want to tell you this morning that by the time this service is over, you're not going to have a head knowledge of what the Passover is. You're going to have a spiritual knowledge of what the Passover is. And because we go, hey, it's Passover or hey, it's Easter. And we just know that as a date. It doesn't really mean anything to some of us, and that's not a bad thing. It's just that we don't know any better. But God wants to tell us what it means. God wants it to be personal and real. And so it's, it's Passover time, which is where we are right now in the Bible, 2015. And it says in verse 14, he, he was found in the temple, and he found those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Looks like a lot of church today. Oh, wow. No amen there. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written Zeal for your house has eaten me up. That was a prophecy. So the Jews answered and said, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Let me just read that again. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He's not talking about the temple he's standing in. He's talking about the temple that was his body. God wants us to have eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to understand. Amen? He said, you want a sign? Let me give you a sign. And so now we see that what they, how they respond. But it says, sorry, then the Jews said it, was take, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. 
You will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, watch this. This is interesting. His disciples remembered that he said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Isn't it interesting that we're reading John, but we know the story later that they actually went fishing. But then the scriptures come back to say they remembered. Because God is, is a, a, one who looks and discerns the heart. He knows your heart this morning. Easter can be one of the greatest times in the world for excitement and celebration, but it can also be one of the greatest times to be religious and not really understand what we're doing this morning and what we're celebrating. I, I want you as a believer this morning, as a human being this morning, to get your, your relationship with God right and not have a, 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 a head knowledge of who Jesus is. God wants you to have a revelation of who he really is is that this isn't some Sunday school Bible story. This is truth. This is life. This is real. Amen? How many know this morning that those 147 people who died in Kenya the other day found out real quick this was real? Amen? They found out real quick this, this thing's real. People are going to, I might have to die for my faith. Now, what I want you to understand this morning is we move forward for just a minute, is I want to tie in with some of the things I've been talking about in our church about God's prophetic timetable. How many got a watch here this morning? Let me see your watch. Whether it works or not, doesn't matter. We're not, show, we're not showing them off. But if you've got a watch, if you look at that watch, and listen, I've worn watches before that didn't work because <laughs> I didn't get a battery in them. But you wear them because it goes with your clothes. But whether it works or not, there's, there's hour and minutes there, right? Y'all looking at that watch? Now, what good would that watch do if there was no hours and no minutes? It would just be jewelry. But those hours and those minutes, God wants us to know the hours and the minutes of his prophetic timetables. Now, I want you to get ready for the next few minutes here. Because this is, this is going to be new to a lot of people. Not new, not new doctrine it's going to be new to a lot of people. One of the things that I personally, and I, again, I've been saved 23 years, but what I personally have, have just been blown away in this last year is how many new things I've seen that are not new in the Bible, they're just new to me. Or I've heard them before, and I knew the word, or I, I knew of the story, or, but now it's like, that now oh, oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's what that meant. Oh, I, okay, I get it. And listen, there's something happening. If you'll write this down, I've said this before, just to have it there, Daniel chapter 12. In that verse, in actually verse 4, he says that in the last days that knowledge will increase. Y'all with me? Knowledge will increase. And there's a two-sided coin to that word. One is that technology would increase and, 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 and people would learn more uh, of, of how, to, how to live and we'd have cell phones and we'd have computers and we'd have all this crazy technology we have and what we know would be fast, 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 fast repeated. And I said the other you can buy a computer and then two days later it's out of date. You can buy a cell phone, two days later it's out of date. There's something always new coming. That's, there's one part to that. But the other part is that I believe God is saying in the last days, the knowledge of my people 
will increase. The understanding of my people will increase. And through uh, studying the Word of God, some of these things that have been there before are going to come alive and come off the pages and make sense that didn't make sense before. If you're honest this morning in, in this place, most people don't like to read the Old Testament. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or even nod your head. Most people don't like to read it because they don't understand it. Once you begin to understand it and you begin to see what God was doing, you begin to say, wow, I need to go back and look at this again. This wasn't here just for fun. This wasn't here just because. This is because God was speaking to us today in what you could almost call hidden messages. Now what's interesting is, what, what, how did Jesus teach? Somebody shout out the word. What did he, there's a word he used parables right jesus spoke in parables why what do you what did he, what did he always say to his disciples when the disciples would come and ask him hey how they, we don't get that what are you trying to say he says i speak in parables so that they won't understand it's not because he didn't want them to understand it's because he wanted them to dig, dig deeper he wanted them to not just be in the big meetings he wanted them to follow him and so he has these things in the Old Testament. He wants us to go out and study. And he wants us to understand that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the Old Te New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. You have to understand that this morning. And so what we see is, I'm going to take just a minute on this. And this is, this is the gist of the message. What we see in the Bible is the feasts of God. Write that down. Feasts of God. And this is in Leviticus 23. I don't want you to go to Leviticus this morning, but I want you to read Leviticus 23 later. I want you to spend some time reading it, and you'll recognize a few of these things. But I'm going to make it simple. I'm going to teach in third grade this morning. Okay? How many like third grade education? I like you to just tell me A, B, C. That's me. I don't, I don't want to ever talk over anybody. I don't like when people talk over me. It's like if you're going to talk over me, just don't waste your breath. Just Let's just talk about something else. I want you to teach me so I understand. How many wish you'd had some teachers in school that weren't just getting a salary but would have actually said, you know what, I'm going to try to figure out how to teach these. I had teachers. I knew they weren't trying to teach me anything. They were trying to make me look dumb. And now we got teachers in here, amen. Praise God for teachers. But teachers should want to teach. Don't go over my head. Tell me so I can remember. So here's simple. Write down seven. There's seven Feast in the Bible. And you go, oh, feast, boring. I'm going to eat a feast after once you get done. No, don't do that. Here's what the seven feasts are. If you don't, listen carefully to this part. If you don't understand what the feasts of God are, there's no hour and minutes on your watch. Okay? The feasts of God are times. Appointed times. The actual word for feast in the Hebrew is moadim. Moadim means appointed times. God, although we don't believe it sometimes, we understand it, has us on a watch. Have you ever heard of the creation calendar? You ever heard that said, creation calendar? We're on God's creation calendar. How many days did it take God to build the, the world? How many? Six. What did he do on the seventh? First, first, this is for anybody who hasn't been here. The first 6,000 years are our lives on the earth before what God calls a millennial reign, which is the seventh day, which is going to be a day of rest for God. The first 4,000 years of the creation calendar were Adam and Eve to Jesus.
That's four. Okay? Then from Jesus to now, 2,000. Some say, well, in 2015, you got to understand, we're not on a Gregorian, or we're on a Gregorian calendar. We're not on Jewish calendar. Our time's different. There's some missing years there. Not because God's missing it. It's because how we count misses it. In the Gregorian, in the Jewish calendar, there's only 360 days. And they go by the moon. So just so you understand, so 4,000, 2,000, 6,000. That means, biblically, that we're coming to the end of the church age. On the watch. Okay? And so if we want to know God's watch and God's time clock this morning, then we have to be able to look at the, well, not the hour one, but the minutes. And so the hour and the minutes are the feasts in the Bible. Now let me break this down. I'm going to make this very simple to you. I want you to look at Exodus chapter 12. We looked at John. I want you to look just one other thing this morning. Exodus chapter 12. Please go there. Please don't just believe me. Genesis, Exodus. Second book of the Bible. Some of you might not want to, don't care, but I believe you do. I care. I told some people on Thursday night, we have a forum for this month of April. On Thursday nights at 7 o'clock, I'll plug that real quick. We had a great turnout. And we were talking about end times, we are talking about prophecy. And we're talking about what's coming and what, what God is saying through the news. And listen, the Bible tells us in the, in the Bible, and especially in Revelation, that he doesn't want us to be blind to what's going on in the world. He wants the church to know. And so maybe you're here and you're, I said this uh, Thursday, maybe you're one of those people that they call pan people. Everything's going to pan out. You just kind of don't worry about it. Now there's a certain goodness to that. You just trust God. But God wants us to be able to use these things to reach other people and get them saved because he died for everybody, not just for you and me that are saved. He wants everybody to be saved. How many want family members and friends and neighbors and even your enemies to be saved this morning? You want people to get saved? This is a great tool. So in Exodus 12, we're going to see something here. I want you to look at verse 1. Say amen if you're there. Now, of course, we're focusing on this first one this morning. I'm going to tell you the rest just to have. But we're talking about Passover because that's where we're at. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him take Sorry, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Now, just before we keep reading, just to make this simple, Jesus is the lamb. Okay, Jesus is the Passover lamb. So he says, your lamb shall be without blemish. Jesus came to live a life without sin. He became the lamb without blemish. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. I want you to notice as we read this, God is being very specific here. Twilight is a time of the day. Okay, he's not just saying kill it whenever you want to kill it. One of the things I've noticed more than anything in the last year that I've been studying more than I've ever studied before is that God has a timetable. 
God has a timetable, and he wants us to understand it. Okay? So how many see that there, that he said, kill it at twilight? There was a time for that. And it says, watch this, they shall take, verse 7, some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. They shall eat the flesh on the night roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. And then I'm not going to read the next part because it's, it's not important for what I'm trying to say. Go down to verse 11. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. Watch this. It is the Lord's what? Passover. Oh, wow. Cool. Watch. Verse, next verse. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. What night? That twilight, that specific night, the night he said he was going to pass. Look at me for a second. I'm not, I know you're reading. Are you all paying attention? On that night he said, specific place, specific time. He did not say, put blood on your, on your doorpost and I'm just going to come sometime. He said a specific time. He wanted them to be ready. He wanted every person in Israel to save their firstborn son. He was not, watch this, he was not trying to kill Israel's firstborns. He was trying to take care of Pharaoh's firstborn because Pharaoh was the symbol of the devil and Pharaoh was the one who was rebelling against him. There's going to come a time when the judgment of God is going to touch the whole world and the whole world will be whoever rejects the Passover lamb. He doesn't want anybody to die. The Bible says that he wants everybody to be saved. But he came to die for everybody, but we choose if we want to be saved or not. We choose by obeying what God says. He said, this is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, I'll pass through the land of Egypt on that night. I'll strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beast, against all the gods, little g, of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. Watch this. Keep reading. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. See, this is one of those easy ones. Pass over. I have over here the door. Hopefully everybody can see it. This is real simple. Third grade. This is where you live. This is where I live. This is our house. God said on the, on the night of Passover, go kill the lamb. That's Jesus. Take his blood. Put it on the doorpost. Put it on the doorpost. So when I come through the land, when the death angel comes through, and I see the blood, when I see the blood, the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb, I will Passover. It's that simple. That's what happened in the Bible. That's what we're celebrating today is Jesus Christ came down to be the lamb for us. And when we apply the blood to our lives and to our houses and to our families, when anything that's demonic or not of God comes against us, the Bible says it will pass over because he sees the blood. Amen? We need the blood of Jesus in our lives this morning for salvation. It's the only salvation. He said those little G-gods, if you don't, I don't care what you believe in or what you say, how many know that, oh, we try to be a politically correct 
people today and everybody's kind of got to be right, but God says, no, not everybody's going to be right. I'm God and I have a door and my door is Jesus, my son. And if you want to go to heaven, you come through my door. Oh, somebody needed to get that part right there. He didn't ask us if you'd like to make another door, make another door. He said, there's one door. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me and my way, which is the Passover. I hope that little visual just, I know it's just a door, but I wanted you to see it. It's that simple. Is the blood applied over? Now watch what happens just to finish this part here. When I see the blood, I'll pass over. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Listen, if this happened in the Old Testament, it's going to happen today. Can I say that again? History is going to repeat itself. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Everything you read in the Old Testament is God saying how it happened then. It's going to happen again. How it happened then, it's going to happen again. Read with me just another verse here. He says, so this day shall be to you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You, look at the person next to you and say, you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. You came to church today because it's Easter. You didn't know you were keeping something. We're keeping something they've been keeping since the day of the Israelites. It's the Passover. We understand these feasts. Now, I'm going to finish with this this morning. I want you to write these things down. Really simple, okay? Just real simple here. There's seven feasts. Seven times of God's appointed times. The first one was Passover. Second one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, you'll read these in Leviticus 23, and if you were to go on even to read the next few verses, which I don't want you to right now because I want you to stay focused. If you were to read the next few verses in that same chapter, it would begin to talk about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I mean, you won't have any leaven in your bread. That's where God begins to tell us. He doesn't want us to have a life full of sin. He wants us to stay clean. There's many symbols, many ways it's going, but the Feast of Unleavened Bread was that Jesus Christ would be buried for us, and he says in the New Testament, I am the bread of life. Remember that? I am the bread of life. See the correlation? I don't have time this morning to go through all the scriptures. I'm going to give these to you, and I'm going to give you the correlations, but the first one was Passover. Passover was his death and and his uh, crucifixion. Okay? These are appointed times. These are things in the Old Testament that we see in the New Testament. And he's fulfilling these times on a timetable, okay? And then we go on to see that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is symbolic of his burial, okay? Now, these four four things I'm going to tell you to write, I told you seven total, right? Seven symbolizing the seven days of creation, okay, in God's timetable. And, and, And six meaning we're on this earth, the seven meaning rest. Then the third one is... The Feast of First Fruits. As I say these words, some of you guys go, okay, I remember that first, First Fruits. I remember Feast of First Fruits. I've read it a million times. Oh, yeah, Feast of First Fruits. Yeah, cool, Feast of First Fruits. Nobody likes Leviticus. 
Listen, I'm, I'm putting myself on blast. I didn't like the Old Testament either because no one broke it down to me. No one made, no one made make sense to me. And I thank God that I'm able to try to make sense of it to you today. It means a lot. Feast of first fruits. That's just not something that sounds good. That means that, that that's, the, that's his resurrection. Because he said, I'm going to be the first fruit of the living and the first fruit coming from the dead. In the New Testament, Jesus fulfilled the feast of first fruits. When he rose from the dead. Today, we're celebrating not only the Passover, but we're celebrating not only the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but we're celebrating in these three days that are here, we're celebrating now the resurrection, which is the Feast of first fruits. And that's already happened. That's already done. That's already over. The fourth one is the Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks means Pentecost. Pentecost is the church. The church is you and me today now let me make this simple for you there's four spring feasts they're already done first one was Passover Jesus already died second one was feast of unleavened bread he was already buried third one was feast of first fruits he already rose from the dead fourth one was feast of weeks that's the church that's Pentecost that's us that's now what that means is that's where we're at in God's timetable Right now, 2015, April 5th, Easter. It's not just another date. Right now, we are in the Feast of Weeks. All four of the spring feasts were fulfilled. And listen, I don't have time to go into this today, but they were all fulfilled exactly, say exactly, on the dates they said they would become done, all of them. If you look back on God's timetable, And for anybody that's been here and been coming and been listening to some of these teachings, some of this makes more sense than others. And and we've been talking about times, and I'm going to get into more of that too going forward. But listen, I want you to understand where we're at. Four have been fulfilled. Three are left to be fulfilled. Four spring feasts. Spring is now. We're in spring, correct? There's three feasts left. They're called fall feasts. Y'all still with me? This is still third grade, right? We know what spring means. We know how many four is. One goes before two, two, three, three, four. Right? It's not too hard, right? Y'all still with me? All right. I want you to get this. All those four are done. And well, we're in the fourth right now. It's coming to an end. And the next thing is write these three things down. Feast of Trumpets. Feast of Day of Atonement. Feast of Tabernacles. Write those down if you're taking notes. Feast of Trumpets. Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? Three, right? Where are we at in God's timetable? I said on Wednesday night, I believe when I was preaching, if someone asked me, I'd say 1159. For what? For the church to go home. I love that. I love saying that. It gets so quiet. It's amazing. 1159. What did I say that next one was coming up was? I wonder what that could mean. Hmm. Anybody know the Bible in here? What does the verse say in the Bible about the rapture? In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the next thing on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. That's next. In the fall, 
fall feasts. I don't have time this morning to go into the blood moons. I don't have time to go into the year of Shemitah. I don't have time to go into a lot of stuff that we're going to be talking about, so come back. But there's three feasts left, Feast of Trumpets, Rapture of the Church. The next one is the Day of Atonement. Guess what the Day of Atonement is going to be? It's going to be the second coming of Christ to this earth. And in, included in that can be the time of tribulation because the atonement is not for us. We've already been atoned by the blood. We've already been atoned. We don't have to be crucified again. We don't have to go through tribulation again. We don't have to show our faith again. We've already put our faith in Jesus. That's why he's going to rapture the church out. Amen. That's why we're not going to be here. He had a way of escape for those people. He said, you put the blood on the doorpost, that, that plague's coming, but it's not going to affect you. And the last one is Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles is the millennial reign. So there's three things prophetically left in the book of Revelation to happen, and those three things are spring, sorry, fall. The first four have been fulfilled. The last three have not. And I ask you a question as the musicians come this morning. Actually, yeah, the musicians can come. I ask you a question this morning. If God fulfilled all the spring feasts to the minute and the day and the hour that he said he was going to fulfill them, why wouldn't God fulfill the fall feast exactly the way he said? Y'all follow me? Now, again, some of y'all are saying, I don't understand everything. You, you didn't tell us, that, how do we know the time? All that stuff I, I've been talking about, but I can't say it all in 45 minutes. But there's a timetable. The, the Bible's full of cycles. Every seventh year, just like there's seven days in a week, and the seventh is, look at me over here, guys. Those, I know my daughters are beautiful. They are, they're, these are my, they're beautiful. You guys are beautiful. Everybody's staring at you. Maybe they were, staring at, they were staring at Ryan, too. My bad. Sorry, there's ladies in here, too. No. If he fulfilled the first ones, he's going to fulfill the last ones, just like he said. Amen. They're going to happen. We can know when it's going to happen. We can know how it's going to happen. I want you to know this morning, Jesus is the prophetic Passover lamb. We're not sitting here celebrating some ideology of what CNN talks about or some hour show they put on TV is Jesus forgery or is Jesus the truth or I don't know what the name of it. they have some show out right now we know who Jesus is Jesus is the Passover lamb Jesus is the, is the son of the living God and I close with this thought in the book of Job how many know that Job's the oldest book in the Bible maybe you didn't know that Job's the oldest book in the Bible Job had a question this, this is going to break everything. Maybe everything else just went over your head. Maybe everything else you think, I don't, let me, let me make it real simple this morning. Job asked a question you might need to ask yourself. He said, if a man dies, will he live again? That's a good question. I believe the whole world would ask that question. I believe the whole world thinks about that question. They might not admit it. Will we, where, is there something after, after death? Because the one thing we know for sure, church, is we're going to die. I'm not trying to be negative or anything, but we know, especially in the United States, there's just two things for sure, death and taxes. We know we're going to die. 
You know you're going to pay your taxes. By the way, you have a week left, and I'm one of them. Get them done. Amen? So we know we're going to die. Job said, if a man dies, he asked this question way before the book of Genesis was written, shall he live again? And then he had a revelation a little later in Job 19. He's having these conversations back and forth with God. He says these words. Listen, it wasn't God saying something to him. It was him saying something to God. You're not saved this morning by God saying, I sent my son. You're saved this morning by you saying, I believe in you, Jesus. Amen? He says these words. For I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. Thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago, Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. Thousands of years ago. And watch this. He says, and that he shall stand at the... Man, this is powerful. This is Job. He says, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Upon the earth. You realize that that's biblical prophecy? And the second coming of Christ? When he comes and stands in on the Mount of Olives where he ascended up from and he, and he, rule, he begins a ruling and reigning of a thousand years with us, the church. He says this so far back, the prophetic Passover lamb. He says he stands on the, in the latter day on the earth and he says, watch this. In my flesh, I shall see God. Job said, in my flesh. He's prophesying to you and to me and to the world. I am going to live again. I am going to rise from the dead. I am going to have a glorified body. When he said flesh, he meant physically on the earth. He would stand with Jesus. And did you know that that's going to happen in the millennial reign? We're going to come back from heaven with all those saints, Job and Daniel and Moses and Abraham and Jacob and Sarah and Ruth. All those people are going to be on this earth with us. And we're going to have all kinds of conversations with them. Man, how'd you kill Goliath, David? Can you show me? Amen. I mean, how many got some questions for the Bible people? Amen. Solomon, what the heck is wrong with you? If he's there, amen. <laughs> Hope he is.